So if you're growing up in a place that had issues or you're going to college in a place that had issues, even if the toxic piece isn't there, your body is being trained to understand that this is a problem, which means later in life, if you get exposed to it again, your body now reacts as if it's seen a ghost that used to haunt it all the time and it freaks out. So you can actually have different responses to a mold exposure later in life based on what you were exposed to when you were younger. Hello, and welcome to the Art of Living Well podcast. I'm Stephanie May Potter, and I'm here with my co-host, Marnie Dachis marmette We created the Art of Living Well podcast to empower you to live your happiest, healthiest, and most authentic life. Each week, we will bring you inspiring and motivating conversations covering health and wellness topics, including fitness, mindset, food, travel, product reviews, and strategies from a variety of experts, including our own bank of knowledge. We are excited to educate, motivate, and inspire you to change the way you perceive health and discover your art of living well. Get ready to feel inspired. Hello and welcome back to the Art of Living Well podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I can't believe that it's already mid-January, which means that our 14-day liver detox is in its second week. And we have such an amazing group of individuals, many alumni who have done our program one or more times, and lots of new people as well. And we have a few new elements and events that we incorporated this time, which are really exciting. I just want to share One evening, we all got on Zoom and did a wonderful, relaxing yoga nidra class with the amazing Betsy Weiner, who's been a guest on our show a couple of times now. And then we also did an in-person event for anyone who was in Minneapolis at the new Sauna Strong, where we did both sauna, the hot therapy, and cold therapy, which was always very invigorating. Even though Marnie and I don't typically love the cold, we are really Our bodies are getting acclimated to it and starting to feel the benefits when we do get into a cold plunge. We also had new videos of Marnie and I in the kitchen doing some cooking. We had an amazing breathwork recording from one of our upcoming guests. So if you've been on the fence about joining our detox and maybe the sound of it seems a little bit intimidating or overwhelming, please message us with any questions. We'd be more than happy to walk you through the program and how to prepare both mentally and physically Prior to starting this liver detox, we're going to have another one coming up in April, and we'd love, love for you to join us. Trust us, your body will thank you immensely for providing it the opportunity to allow your liver to function more optimally and give it the rest it needs, and you will feel the results almost immediately. And then finally, before we dive into today's episode, we want to ask that if you're enjoying this podcast, could you please take just two minutes, head on over to Apple Podcasts to leave us a five-star rating and review. It really helps us reach more people so that others can benefit from the inspiring conversations and all the resources that we share with you each week. And if you're enjoying today's episode, we would love for you to share it with a family member, a friend, or anyone who you think may benefit from this information. And of course, head on over to Instagram and tag us there. And now we are thrilled to share today's wonderful guest, Brian Carr. He is the co-founder of We Inspect. And Marnie and I met Brian this past fall at Dr. Cabral's Reimagining Health Summit. And after hearing him speak, we knew we had to have him on our show. Mold is a topic that I've personally dove into in my own home. And while it may not be the most, you know, sexy health and wellness topic, it's one that affects more people than you realize, potentially including yourself and your family. 
So Brian is a second generation and indoor environmental consultant who specializes in working with hypersensitive individuals with complex chronic medical conditions. He helps individuals and families to understand if mold, mycotoxins, and other indoor pathogens exist in their homes that may be contributing to their health conditions and how to remedy those issues. Brian has become a mold and biotoxin expert to many medical practitioners across the country and has helped over 5,000 hypersensitive individuals worldwide to create healthier living environments that have allowed their doctors to help them get better. Brian is the co-founder of We Inspect, and he's the host of Mold Finders podcast. He's clearly an expert in identifying indicators of mold growth, which we'll dive into today. Brian does such a fabulous job of sharing clear examples and analogies to take this very overwhelming and confusing topic and dissect it for everyone to understand. You will walk away with insight about whether you and your family's unwanted health symptoms could be caused by toxic mold exposure. And in today's episode, you're going to learn what is toxic mold and why and how people are exposed to it. We'll talk about the various symptoms that can stem from toxic mold exposure, including allergies, autoimmune conditions, behavior issues in children, inability to lose weight, and so much more. Brian shares why it's so important to remove the mold at its source and how to uncover the root cause of your mold. We talk about mold inspectors, what to look out for, questions to ask. He talks about why he doesn't believe in air samples to discover mold, which is what I've done now twice in my house, and what first steps you can take if you believe you may have mold exposure or mold in your home. We talk about the different types of testing that you can do and how Brian's company, We Inspect, can help you. And, you know, I just want to mention that I've had now two different calls with We Inspect. I ended up doing an air sample test. And I just had my follow-up call based on those results. And I'm going to have another call with an actual inspector in a couple days. So stay tuned to future episodes because this has been an ongoing issue in my house for a couple years now. And I am confident that We Inspect can help us. But it's been a journey. And I know for a lot of you out there that have had mold exposure, you can relate. I did just want to mention that since we recorded this episode with Brian, the company has put the hybrid offering for their services on pause until summer. So I just want to mention that that's not available, but definitely reach out to them. We'll link everything up in the show notes, but you can schedule the complimentary call. You can order their dust test, which also will include a call. So without further ado, let's dive right into this enlightening conversation with Brian Carr. I know we've all tried a lot of ways to feel better after a night of drinks. I found something that actually works. It's a pre-alcohol probiotic from Zbiotics. Their probiotic was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Pre-alcohol produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. This is a proactive solution that wards off feeling miserable the next day instead of a reactive approach like drinking electrolytes or eating greasy food. Every time I have a Zbiotics before I drink, I notice a difference the next day. Even after a night out, I can confidently plan on getting up early, doing my usual workouts, and I know that I'm not gonna feel sick. I can't even believe it, but Valentine's Day is fast approaching. Whether you have a Galentine's party or a date night, Zbiotics is the perfect match for your wine and chocolate pairing. Enhance your mornings with Zbiotics. 
Go to zbiotics.com slash A-O-L-W to get 15% off your first order when you use A-O-L-W at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with a 100% money-back guarantee, so if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, head to zbiotics.com slash A-O-L-W and use the code A-O-L-W at checkout for 15% off. Hi, Brian. Marty and I are so excited to have you on our show today. We've been wanting to have someone, an expert in the field of mold, on for quite some time. And when we heard you were going to be presenting at Dr. Cabral's conference earlier in the month in Florida, we reached out to you and it was so fun to meet you in person and to listen to all the immense knowledge that you had to share with everyone at the Reimagining Health Summit. And we're just really glad to have you here today. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. I always like whenever people, it's still so weird. Whenever people want me to come on and like talk, it's it's like a very like surreal, humbling thing. It's awesome. I love doing it. I am here for whatever you guys need. So let, let hit me. Let's do it. Okay. Well, before we kind of jump right in and get into this fun topic of mold, we would love for you to share what is your one non-negotiable to start each day? You know, it's so funny that you asked me that now. I am in this whole um, kind of reshaping what my mornings look like, relooking at what, what longevity looks like and how to extend that and all the things that go along with it. So I, I was always someone who never enjoyed working out ever. I hated it. Um, my wife loves it. She's like all about it. So we have things in the garage to do all this stuff. And uh, what happened is such a weird story. So what happened, so my cousin, who's my partner in, in our company, Lee Inspect, I went to his, uh, his, his house one day in San Diego, hadn't seen him in a little while. And he was like, looking good. I'm like, hey, what are you doing? It's like, oh, every morning I'm working out, I'm doing this. I'm like, oh, all right. And then I saw that he had a whoop band on. And I was like, tell me about this thing. What does this thing do? And then he showed me like the screen and all the stuff. And I'm such like a data number competitive person too. So I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. This seems like a fun game. And so I ended up getting a whoop and we made like our little group and it's like our family, there's like four people in it. And every morning it's like, hey, what's everybody doing? How well did I sleep? I'm doing all of these things now because I'm seeing numbers in front of me that are validating like that I'm doing good things. So yesterday I did not work out in the morning. And I also did not do the superhuman protocol, which we can talk about if you want to. I'm into that right now too. And I felt like crap yesterday, absolute crap all day yesterday. So now what has been transitioning over the last, let's say four to eight weeks, I wake up before my kids do, before my wife does, I go in the gym, I do like a 20 to 30 minute thing just to kind of get it moving, mostly strength training every now and then I'll throw in like a short cardio session or something like that. And it just gets me feeling really good. And I have a cold plunge that's going to arrive in a few days and that will be the oh, back. So that's going to be what my morning is like. <laughs> which one did you get? I got the Therafrost one from the- Oh, you did? Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. What I really liked about it is that it is portable, but it also is incredibly sturdy when it's like, when, you know, when it's up, right? Because a lot yeah, of the right. are all flimsy and stuff like that. So yeah. it's super sturdy, but I also can take it and do what I want with it. And, you know, all the things that the, the point of this is to talk about cold plunging, but I'm very excited about it. So that's so <laughs> awesome. We've been talking yeah. about that a lot. I know Stephanie wants to get one. And I know I want to get one too. So that'll be next on my list. Well, that's I gotta awesome. Tell you, when you get out of one of those things, like I, I've done it a few times and I've done a lot of cold showering. 
you feel, I was actually listening to a pod about this. Um, so the effect that cold shock, like temperature cold shock has on you has, is a dopamine hit, yep. which is the same dopamine hit that you get from cocaine. Yes. The cocaine dopamine hit that you get lasts for a few, you know, for eight minutes is what they said on this pod. The hit that you get off of doing cold plunge lasts for two hours plus. Yeah. I never did drugs in my whole life. And now I'm going to have like, I'm going to be like, I know what it feels like all of you people. (laughs) No, it is amazing. We actually had someone on, we haven't dropped the episode yet, but by the time this airs, we will have talking about cold therapy and yeah. And we have another guest coming up too. So we we've been diving into that topic quite a bit, but anyway, we're going to change gears because Brian, we're so excited to talk to you about mold. And we would love to hear your story in a nutshell and how you got into this business. And I know you had your own personal experience with mold and, you know, you shared your story at the conference in an entertaining way. And we would love um, for you to just touch on that. Yeah. I I think a lot of people in this world and the, and the helping people figure out their mold exposure health journey situation probably have their own version of something that happened this isn't something that most people go to school for it's not something that kids grow up wanting to be when they grow up is you know <laughs> like i want to be a mole guy like nobody says that right i wanted to be a basketball um and so but i had a thing i'll try to be you know not super exhaustive maybe like i was at the conference but basically i lived in an apartment i had a ceiling leak that came through it wasn't handled properly which happens all the time landlords don't handle this stuff properly because it costs them money and, you know, when you rent out a building, you're doing it because it makes you money. You're not doing it because you care about what people live like in there. I don't care what they all say. That's not why they bought the building. So they bought the building to make money. And the problem is if you handle an issue properly, it might cost a little more than not handling it at all, which is basically what happened to me. I started getting symptomatic. It started progressing. It went on for a couple of months. I started getting skin breakouts on my face, like eczema. I started getting brain fog. I started, all these things started happening. And uh, my wife now, who I was dating at the time, her dad was literally the top person in the entire country that does what I do now. And well, lucky for you. That's what I say. I mean, it's How so serendipitous. I mean, what- yeah, I mean- <laughs> it's, it's incredible. And, and it really like puts stuff in perspective because if that didn't happen, I would be just like every person that I work with now. I didn't know it was a problem. I was told everything was fine. I had a local inspector come in and say everything was cool. And, you know, if I was reacting that quick after two months and I lived in that place for another two years, let's say, I mean, who knows where I'd be right now, right? And so I saw what happened. He helped me out of the situation. I happened to be in the market for a new job at the time. And I just like on the spot after the whole thing. ended, I was like, I want to do this. I want to work for you. And I think the joke that I made at the conference when I told the story was like, I was literally just been dating my wife at the time for like, I don't know, like three months or something. I was like... I was like all in on the relationship. I was all in on this, what I, what I saw in front of me and and what I wanted to do for people. And I just like jumped in the deep end and that's kind yeah. of, my story. <laughs> it's a good thing. It worked out with your wife. It is such a good thing. <laughs> it would have been weird. Cause I would have kept working with her dad. It would have been awkward, but yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So Brian, this topic, you know, and I've listened to a lot of podcasts and to have my own personal experience with mold, which is not fully resolved yet. But it's really overwhelming and confusing. And quite frankly, I think it's just not addressed in the right manner. Because like you said, mold inspectors come in and they give you know a house or 
if you've had water damage, they've given you like kind of a clean bill of health and people just move on their way. But we all know that so many of us have unwanted health symptoms that we don't know where they stem from. And, you know, can you just dive right in and kind of lay the groundwork for like, what is toxic mold? Why are so many people exposed to it? And why it's so critical to remove this? Because as you saw with your skin issues and your eczema, you know, you have to remediate in order to remove these symptoms and get to the root cause of them. So if you just want to kind of give us the, you know, for those of our listeners who maybe haven't been educated yet on mold. Yeah. So, I mean, you said the phrase root cause, right? That's a very big buzzword in the last couple of years. I was like root cause. This is the new, this is the new motion. Functional medicine is cool and hip and with it now, which is awesome because a lot of people are able to now take control of sort of what's happening. It's getting, you know, prescribed pills, right? So like, that's all great. The thing is, is that root cause is not always an internal thing. It's not always an inside the body thing, right? And so if we're really trying to get to root cause, you have to keep going backwards to truly figure out what is the initial trigger and what's going on. Now, a lot of times it's not so black and white, right? There could be multiple things. You could have co-root causes in a way. You could have the first one came and something piled on and something else happened. And then you have to sort of unpeel the onion and kind of figure out like where it all started. And that's where the smart practitioners in the world can come in and help like navigate all that stuff, right? But a very big part of this whole thing is in, is the environment that you breathe in and specific or live in and specifically the air that you breathe. The air that you breathe has a much, much larger impact on your kind of internal reactions than food does. And multiple doctors have talked about this and it's tough because a lot of times when you talk about mold, they're like, oh, well, these are moldy food types. Like, fine, that's great. In the grand scheme of things, that is a much smaller component to how your body is being exposed to something than if you're taking it in through the breathing pathway. The breathing pathway is the most bioavailable pathway for external exposures, no matter what it is, mold or whatever, to impact you. You have a direct line, not only to your lungs, but to your gut. It all connects to your breathing pathway. So now you're hitting multiple systems in your body at the same time, not to mention your breathing pathway is also directly next to your brain which is where the, the concept of inhalational Alzheimer's comes from. So you're going brain, sinuses, lungs, gut, all in the same path. So you're hitting all these different areas of your body. And that's why it's such a, it's a much bigger impact than I ate something that might have, you know, mold toxins on it, right? Cause that's going to one place. Now, yes, that's not ideal, right? But in the grand scheme of things, that's why it's important. So the air we breathe is huge. And, you know, the idea of like toxic mold, I think is, misportrayed a little bit because I don't think someone really knows what they mean when they say toxic mold. I think when people say toxic mold, they're probably referring to a mycotoxin itself, which is a toxin that's created by molds. However, the phrase toxic mold has been kind of associated with a specific mold type called stachybotrys. That's what everybody kind of knows as toxic. So toxic black mold. A mold itself is not toxic. A mold can create a toxin which becomes the toxin. And there are multiple mold types and species that can create toxins. So there isn't just one type of toxic, quote, toxic mold, right? A lot of different species that can create toxins. And so I actually think a big piece about it when you start understanding, like how do we even start processing all of this stuff? So understand mold is a living thing, toxins are not. Mold is a factory that can create toxins, but does not always do it. 
And so what I want, what I like to reframe is that the issue is not the toxin part. Like, yeah, that's bad. You don't want that, right? But mold in itself is an allergen at the very least without the toxic component at the very least is an immune response trigger when you get that. If you are somebody who in your younger age, which most people are, was exposed to mold in the house that you grew up in, the college dorm you lived in, like whatever it is, over the time that your immune system is really starting to develop, which I always thought was like when you were a kid and I learned from, uh, a shout out from a long time ago to Dr. Tanya Dempsey, who's a mold genius doctor, that your, your immune system isn't actually fully developed until you're like near 20 years old. So if you're growing up in a place that had issues or you're going to college in a place that had issues, even if the toxic piece isn't there, your body is being trained to understand that this is a problem, which means later in life, if you get exposed to it again, your body now reacts as if it's seen a ghost that used to haunt it all the time and it freaks out. So you can actually have different responses to a mold exposure later in life based on what you were exposed to when you were younger. And it's so important to be able to not create that kind of memorized stress that our body sort of takes from that because later on in life, it starts triggering. That's where autoimmune conditions start to develop and all these things start to trigger off of this. So clean environment, so important. And understanding this, your, your load and your mold exposure and all that stuff is so, so, so important. So So is what you're saying, if you were exposed as a child and maybe you just had some like kind of allergies that you didn't really, they weren't super severe and they weren't really fully addressed. And then you continue to be exposed or you're exposed when you're in your twenties or thirties, then that could trigger like an autoimmune condition or more severe health symptoms. It can look at it like that. You could also have symptoms as a kid that nobody really understands is actually something, right? Right. So, you know, ADHD, you know, um, like all of these like nerd, like autism, all these things that people don't think is tied to that, all of that can be influenced. Pans, pandas, child behavior issues, um, you know, growing up and, and not being able to lose weight, like retaining weight all the time, hormone imbalances, like all of these things. A lot of times, like we deal with stuff and we don't really understand like why. And I'm not saying mold is always the reason because it's not right. But if you're seeing this stuff, it let's say in your kids or you think back historically to yourself, right? Because you're older now, let's say you're listening to this and you're like, hey, yeah, I mean, I grew up in a, I lived in a basement in a house somewhere. So the odds of there being a mold issue are pretty high if I grew up in a basement somewhere. And yeah, you know, historically I've had this little thing. I've had this thing. I've had this thing right? It all starts to build up. And so, you know, it's not always going to trigger an autoimmune issue. It's not always going to do these things, but they can. And I think it's really important to understand that. So I have a few questions about that. So would you say, first of all, that most houses have some amounts of mold and most people over their lifetimes are exposed to mold? Like can, can a house be mold free, totally mold free. And then that's my first question. And my second question is related to something I mentioned before we started this is we have a small water leak in our basement. You know, a handyman came out and physically cut out the mold piece, fixed the problem on the outside of the house. It was pretty small and contained. You know, once that's all patched and repaired, is my issue gone? Two good questions. The first question, most homes have are going to have some sort of mold issue in the house, 
right? So I think one thing that happens is somebody gets exposed, they know that they're mold sensitive, and then they're on this mission to live in a mold-free place. And I think if that is the goal that we're setting for ourselves, we're setting ourselves up to fail, right? Our bodies are capable of healing. They just need support in a couple of ways. One, think of it this way. Walk into my house, right? When I walk into my house, there's a big old guy standing there punches me in the face every time I walk in the house. All right, I'm going to start developing. I'm going to have bruises. I'm going to have black eyes. I'm going to have all this stuff. And every time I walk in, this dude just hits me again, hits me again, and hits me again. And for some reason, I keep walking in, right? So you have this thing where you've been kind of like constantly beat down a little bit. And so in order for my face to heal, the first thing I need to do is not get punched in the face for a while, right? So what that means is that you have to remove whatever that exposure is, is kind of causing that problem, right? And that doesn't mean that I have to, I can never be punched in the face again. Or that also doesn't mean that maybe I'm not getting punched. Maybe I'm getting flicked in the face instead. Sure, something's still hitting me, but it's still gonna allow my black eye to heal, even though I get flicked in the cheek. Right. And so the equivalent here is if I have a bunch of mold in the house and it's beating me down and beating me down and beating me down. And let's say that I remove 75% of my exposure in the house by doing remediation, by cleaning, but maybe there's still some issues in the house. I've turned a hard left cross to my face into my four-year-old flicking my cheek. And at that point, my face is going to be able to start healing. And yeah, I don't like this. And every now and then it annoys me and I might feel it. But at the end of the day, it's way better than what I used to feel like. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think part of this is understanding that if I'm going to the point where there's never going to be mold in my house, we live in buildings that are built of mold food. We have water lines running everywhere. We have the temperature that mold is going to grow at and, and take all that out. The wood that our homes are built with oftentimes have mold on them already because they weren't stored properly. So what we need to do is think of it differently. We need to figure out how to get into an, an equilibrium state with our house right? We need to live together with our space and we both need to be okay. What that means, and I know podcasts can see this, but I'm holding my hands up like a scale. And on one side is my, my current health position. And on the other side is how aggressive I'm going to be at addressing a mold problem and how much I feel like I have to remove to do it. Okay. So right now they're equal. If I pull my current health position, meaning that I'm incredibly mega sensitive to mold right now, right? Way down then I'm gonna to have to also pull down the side of how aggressive I am in remediating and cleaning to meet me where I am right now, right? Now, what happens when you get to this point is, is not just the exposure in the house, but it's also working with you know, mold literate doctors and practitioners who now start supporting your drainage pathways and they start helping you detox and they start helping your body get the raw materials it needs to start healing itself, which is what our bodies can do. When you do that, so now for the visual for everyone listening, my hands are very low, but they're equal because I was very sensitive and I removed a bunch of stuff. Now my health side starts going up. I become more resilient. I become more able to handle some mold in the future if I get hit with it. So now the level of I can't ever be around mold goes, goes down a little bit. Now I can walk into my friend's house who has a mold problem for an hour and I could be fine, right? And so it's short-term planning and then it's understanding like how we continue to support ourselves long-term. And you, in terms of how aggressive you are in the house, to answer your first question and to kind of round that out. 
Every house is going to have something. It's a combination of how sensitive you are, right? And how aggressive you need to be. And then how much is going on in that house? And is it possible to reduce the amount of exposure that's happening in that house to meet you where you are? And thirdly, you know, if you have the means to do that, right? And if you don't in your current house, then maybe you have to look somewhere else and leave where you are and go to a place that kind of is starting in a lower area of, of contamination and maybe you work from there. Does that make sense? Wow, that was a great analogy. Like yeah. that was such a good way to explain it for people. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, you asked your other question, which was about did, you know, we cut out a little spot. Are we good? This is what most people do. So you said your handyman did it. So if your handyman did it, then there, um, there was probably no containment. There was probably no air scrubbing going on. There was probably a lot of the standardized kind of engineering controls and process for remediation that probably didn't happen. Um, and in that, there's probably still an issue back there. A lot of times when people that, that don't really know how to do this do it, what they do, so like there's mold right here, I'm gonna cut out a couple inches around each side and we're all good. The problem with that, is that mold is kind of like a like an iceberg more than it is you see everything up front, right? So if you think about the Titanic and the iceberg that took the Titanic down, right? Let's say you cut off the tip of the iceberg, which is the equivalent of removing a foot of drywall potentially, right? I don't see it anymore. It's not there. Got rid of it. It's gone. But what about behind the wall? What about the framing that's behind the wall? What about the debris and the construction debris that's back there that can um, hold the spores and the fragments that were created from that mold issue in the first place. If that wasn't handled properly, that's the equivalent of the giant piece of the iceberg that actually took the Titanic down. So the, the biggest things that I kind of see happening on remediation where the mistakes happen is one, they don't re remove enough. So like a lot of times, especially like handyman and you're sort of like franchised uh, remediation companies, which I won't throw names out there, but you know, look up your local remediation for franchises and you'll see what pops up. They come in and the way that they win your job. So their business is based on volume. That's how their business works. We do low priced stuff and we do a whole lot of it. So they build out their infrastructure to be able to just do a whole lot of projects, very quick in and out. Right. So it's almost like a restaurant turning tables. That's kind of what the, what the approach is. So What's the minimum I can do to get out fast? Also, what's the minimum, I don't say damage, what's the minimum like removal and inconvenience I can do for my, for my potential client so they'll hire me in the first place? Because if, if you had two people that came in and you weren't really educated and one said, I got to remove this entire wall, floor to ceiling, two feet out each way, and we're probably going to look at the waterproofing on the outside of the house, we may need to like re-look at that and that might be something. Or you had somebody that came in and said, all I got to do is cut this out four inches each way. I'm going to spray this magic spray on it. And then you're going to be good. And it's going to cost you a 10th plus the other one would cost. And as someone who's not educated and doesn't know, because why should we be right? Then you would go for that. Right. And so that's what happens a lot. So what I would say, like, just off of what you explained to me, my concerns off of just quickly what's there. One, if you have a mold problem that you know of, and you're removing building material, and you did not contain your space you're setting off a little microbiological bomb. It's exploding, it's it's spreading. That's how cross-contamination happens, right? So that's the first thing. Now, let me just preface this. I'm not saying this to freak you out, right? I just want you to kind of understand it. And then if it truly was a minor issue, you could probably do a, a pretty basic cleaning and be fine, right? So like- they, they did open up the outside of the house wall. They took the whole cool. wall down too, so they could see okay. what was going on between, because it was kind of a corner of a 
you know, screened like sliding glass door. It was right at the edge of the outside oh. of the house. Okay, so cool. I'm hoping I'm going to ask him if he sprayed anything or whatever. No, well, I mean, that's at least better. So they didn't just take out a little couple inches, right? No, they, they took, they oh. took out a whole siding piece of siding right. on the outside of our house. Yeah. So, I mean, that makes me feel a little better about it as opposed to we cut out a little bit over here. Right. Um, but the, the other big thing, so first is, did we remove enough? Because mm -hmm. if you only remove what you see and mold continues to grow and you don't see it when you just pop open the hole over there, there could be a larger issue that spreads. So that's kind of one of the biggest issues that happens. The, the other kind of big issue, I'd say there's two main things that happen. The other main thing that happens is they don't actually remove the mold from the structural surfaces. They think the drywall was the problem because that's where the mold was. But the framing, the dust, the debris, like all the stuff that's with behind the wall in that wall cavity also has to be um, removed and not just sprayed, but sanded or wire brush where it looks like there might be mold growing and framing and then decontaminated wiping and things like that in order to remove where the growth was and where the residual impact was. So a lot of times what happens with people is the, the, the handyman or the contractor, they'll come remove the wall. Hey, I pulled out the wall. We got, look at all the mold on the wall. We got it, right? Good job. And then you build the wall back, but behind the wall, the stuff is still there. And so you've covered it. I mean, you took out a piece of it, right? The drywall had stuff on it, right? So you took out a portion of it, but there's still residual that's back there. You cover the wall back up. Now there's no visual clue that there's even anything going on because we think we fixed it. Yet what's behind the wall can still migrate out from behind the wall and get into the breathing space. And so that's a lot of times where like you'll start hearing about like failed remediations. I'm still sick. Things didn't happen. It's either because they didn't actually do the process properly, which is that, right? Or and there's only two reasons the remediation doesn't work. It's either that they didn't do it properly or two, you just didn't find all the sources where the problems were. And that's why somebody's reacting. So it's, it's one of those two things. If you know where they're coming from, and you're handling it properly, then it 100% can work. I've seen it work over and over and over again. Marty and I are thrilled to share two new products that we've both been using daily for several months and are loving the results. Do you need better nutrition, improved energy or focus, but don't know how? Well, Energy Bit Spirulina Algae Tablets are your answer. They are effortless to take and organically grown. These bits of food are 100% spirulina, which is the most nutrient-dense, antioxidant-rich, high-protein food in the world. You just swallow or chew a few tablets each morning or whenever you are tired or hungry to improve your mitochondria, your energy, your gut health, focus, and reduce your hunger and cravings. They also replace the need for your caffeine. Energy bits are safe for the entire family and pets love them too. Maybe you want to improve your gut health, support your detoxification, or add more green nutrition into your diet. Recovery Bits Chlorella Tablets are the perfect solution. Recovery Bits USDA certified chlorella tablets are bits of food that strengthen your immune system, protect you from colds or viruses, remove toxins, speed recovery from a sports injury, and add vegetables and greens to your diet. This will help ensure that you're getting your greens on a daily basis. The recovery bits also help you enjoy better sleep when you take them before bed. I've noticed a big improvement in my sleep. I'm sleeping much more soundly, not waking up at night. And when I do wake up in the morning, I have so much energy and just feel really well rested. So if you're ready to supercharge your energy, health, and longevity, 
head on over to energybits.com. That's E-N-E-R-G-Y-B-I-T-S.com. Use the discount code LIVINGWELL for 20% off your entire order. I mean, we want to talk about the testing that you do because there's different types of tests. There's the dust test and the ERMI test, which I personally have done, which is very confusing to read. Um, But I'm also wondering before we go there, what are some of like the top like red flags that you've seen with people? Because I mean, like Marnie's case, you know, and some people like have water. And so then they're focused on mold, maybe, maybe, maybe not. If they don't smell it, maybe they don't think that they have it. But there's also instances where you may not think you have mold, but your kids or yourself have symptoms that are indicative potentially of mold. So can you maybe just touch on like the top things that our listeners can be focused on or should be paying attention to? Yeah. Your second scenario is probably 85 to 90% of people, right? It's we're symptomatic. The thing about people, this is with anything, is that you don't really do anything unless we're more driven by pain than we are by something better, like, like progress or a reward. Right. So if we're having a conversation right now and I'm explaining, Hey, listen, mold, it sucks to be breathing in mold and your environment needs to be this. If someone listening is not in pain right now, and they're just somebody who's like, yeah, that sounds interesting. And maybe I should look into it. The odds of that person actually doing anything about it is very low. Right now, now. somebody listening is feeling pain, symptoms, things, this, and they start putting it together. They are way more motivated. Right. And so that's just a natural human thing. Like pain is just a more natural motivator than other things for people. And so if you have somebody, if, if you are someone who's listening, right. And you, and, and the first thing I would say, look at your symptoms yourself, right. So I'm going to walk you through your symptoms. Think about what your symptoms are. Think about where they're happening in your body. Okay. The really tricky thing about mold is it can manifest in all kinds of different places. That's why it's been so difficult for traditional medicine practitioners to even figure out because they don't know how to identify. And even the best functional doctors, it is like, it is an art to figure out how to navigate this and find like the true root of what's happening, right? It's, it's not an easy thing to do. However, the overarching theme about how mold impacts the body is typically it's multi-system, multi-symptom, Okay. System, neurological, cardiovascular, gut, skin, hormone, right? Just like all different areas of the body. So that's what a system means. So start thinking about like, am I, and then your symptoms are several different symptom types typically that are happening in different systems of your body, right? So if you're sitting here and you're like, yeah, man, I have brain fog and I have like fibromyalgia. And, you know, I, I feel like, yeah, I have a rash and my hair's like thinning or just like all these things all over your body that are happening, like everywhere, at least look into this. I'm not saying this is it, but at least look into this because that's what it looks like. It looks like stuff that is happening kind of randomly all over the place for you. And doctors aren't really sure what's going on, Right. The other like big things, if you go to doctors and they're like, oh, you're fine. Your blood tests are fine. And you have symptoms all over the place. It's another thing. It's like, all right, it's not a traditional thing that they're going to see, right? Because they don't know how to look for this. So if you want to kind of take your traditional route and the solution out of your traditional MDs is you're fine. You're either crazy or whatever they're going to tell you. Don't be mad at them. They don't know any better. They're not doing it on purpose. But what you do is you say, okay, I know that when a doctor tells me that, that they haven't been able to figure it out with the tools they have. 
which means all of the quote normal things that are probably happening in blood tests are not the problem. I definitely need to start going down the functional medicine testing panels and, and executioners because that's probably where I'm going to find where the issue is. Okay. So look at your symptom sets, go through that. The other thing, if you happen to leave your house for a period of time, let's say you go on vacation or something like that, and you notice that you feel better when you're gone, biggest, biggest indicator ever. Yeah. Marnie, remember when you, I said, I think I even said this on an episode, when I came back from Greece, I have this like runny nose that I always have. I can get rid of dairy and food and it doesn't matter. Um, and everywhere else I've traveled, I haven't noticed a big difference, but we were in Greece for 10 days. I, I barely needed a tissue, which was so rare for me. Cause I'm always this like old lady carrying tissues with me everywhere. I mean, ask my kids and then they're, they're all over the place. And it's just a big joke in my family. So I kind of said, Oh, I need to move, move to Greece full time, you know, but I do wonder, and we don't have to get down my whole story, but we're still, we kind of took a break from it because I mean, we can dive into this. I did an ERMI test, but then I had two different, very reputable, you know, certified mold specialists come out and do air tests in different areas of my house. Maybe you can dive in to talk about what those two are. And yeah. they basically said there's no issue. And so we've spent thousands of dollars and then we kind of took a pause and I've even done the mycotoxin test. So anyway, maybe we can dive into that next stage. You know, you identify, you have some of these multi-system symptoms and now what? Well, what? and actually, can I add one more question to her question? Yeah. When you're testing, if every house has some form of mold, how do you know the threshold of what's okay and what's not okay? Can you add that to her question? <laughs> I love that question. Can I start there first and then go back? Because I think yeah. it's a really good question. The short answer is that it's not the same for every person. Can we go back to pain, right? The only reason that anyone is inspecting their house for mold is because they're feeling something. Nobody's doing it because they're just like, yeah, I'm going to do some mold testing maintenance and remediation. Nobody in their right mind is doing that. I guarantee you no one's done that preventatively ever, right? <laughs> so the only reason they're doing it is because there's some sort of health issue that's going on, Right. That is your blocker. So it's not five areas of your house is okay, seven areas, three areas, whatever. It, it's not it's not subject or objective like that. It is you are the barometer of what your load looks like, right? And we talked about kind of like how hypersensitive is someone compared to someone else, right? It's really the doctor needs to be a part of this. The mold literate doctor, I should say, needs to be a part of this that can help give some context for what someone's toxic load really looks like and what maybe somebody's sort of threshold is for exposure to something, right? Um, and then what the, the overall goal is really what I just explained earlier is how do we get the exposure down to meet you where you are at your current health position? So that's what it is, right? So like when we go through a space, the first thing that we do, first off, to, to your previous question, Stephanie, is that we don't do air samples in bedwork rooms. Literally, it would just be like, give me your money, let me light it on fire. This is awesome. Cool. So well, I we, feel so good. <laughs> well, I don't want you to feel like that, but it's what you what you went through is what most people go through, right? It's I'm feeling something, I'm going to can I guess kind of how your process went and see how close I am? Sure. Okay. So you're having your symptoms or whatever's going on. You have your pain that triggers. And it was actually my kid, like my one son who's sneezing uncontrollably. Got it. Okay. With the trigger at the doctor. It, it, it kind of, there's a whole backstory, but yes. Got it. So Everyone you, in my house has some minor symptom. So you have your trigger and you're like, okay, I need to figure this out. And you're like, 
Where do I go to figure this out? I don't know. And so then you either open up Yelp or Home Advisor or Angie's List. <laughs> and you open them up and you start searching mold inspector. You start doing that. And then what's the next thing that every human being on planet Earth does right now? You scroll looking for reviews. Yep. This guy has 174 and a half star reviews in the comments. He's really nice. Let me call this guy out. Call the guy out. Guy comes out, says, oh, yeah, we're going to do air quality testing. Did he say air quality testing? Am I right? Well, they all, two of them did. And I will say, I actually <laughs> went to this Facebook, Crunchy Wisconsin Moms Facebook group that are more into this holistic health. And they, you know, got recommendations from these women and people and so I went, you know, maybe one step beyond Yelp, but basically went to the Facebook group for support and reviews from approval. other moms, right, right. For social approval. So we're looking for social proof in the version of reviews or some sort of yeah. community, something, neither of which really indicates the expertise that someone has or whatever like that. So right. then as you start looking at them, oh, they're certified. Yeah. Can I tell you what the certification process is? Just oh, God. So sure. It is a hundred question test that you have as long as you want to study for. And the secret to passing the test, which is so crazy, take the practice test. It's the exact same questions on the practice test. Oh boy. If you are getting a 95 on your practice test. You are guaranteed to pass your certification test. That is it. So anyone who wants to be a mold inspector and dupe some people, yeah. this is the move that you do, right? This is the level of standard that people are held to, to come in and say, I'm a certified mole person to come in and do this, right? But I have 500 reviews and people give me good comments. Right. So right. you go through that process and what they're gonna do is they're gonna come in and they're gonna do quote, and they always call it air quality testing. Like when we do air stamps or test your air quality. Cool, I'm not concerned about air quality. I'm concerned about mold specifically and I'm concerned about where it's coming from. When you start thinking about what they're doing and then what the result would be off of the test. This is where we start getting like how you actually test and what you're doing, right? And this is the same thing like in clinical too. If I am running a specific test or, you know, if I'm a doctor running a specific test on somebody, the reason I'm running it is because that information is going to potentially change how I treat them, prescribe them, whatever, right? So every test has a direct purpose or it should, right? Either telling a story or a direct action that's going to happen off of it. Right. So the same thing that happens on our end. Now, the problem with an air sample in the middle of the room is it doesn't tell you where the problem is coming from. Even if it shows you a problem, which we did a whole internal study on this. I was going into houses for a year and I was like, all right, I know. I mean, I knew air samples don't work. Right. But I was like, I kind of wanted to prove it so I could talk about it on things like this. So I would go through houses. I did it for a whole year. If I thought there was mold in a wall, I would test in the wall, which is the way you're supposed to. And then I would step like three feet away and I would put it up an air pick, an air sample pump, a kind of, you know, breathing level. And I took that sample three feet away from a literal problem that is sitting here that I validated. And 70% of the time that air sample said there was no problem. Oh gosh. The further so away you get from source with an air sample, the exponentially less and less accurate it is. And usually from my experience, these machines that they had were in the middle of a room. So yeah. if there was mold in the wall, it's not going to detect it is what you're saying. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, and I, and I have to believe that these people that are getting certified, you know, quickly aren't even understanding what you're saying. Like they think they are helping or they're telling people they don't have mold in their house. I agree. I don't think they're doing it on purpose. Yeah. I think that there is literally no education on how this works. And it's so simple to get into it. 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, Brian, what do you recommend then doing if someone wants to get their house tested for mold? So if we're actually at the point where we're trying to figure out like where problems are and handle it properly, yeah, you treat it the same way that you treat the body. So for the podcast I did with Dr. Cabral, which he had, he my episode with him is now posted on my on my pod, which is Mulfinders Radio. Um, we did a side by side. Here's how Dr. Cabral starts his process with a patient. Here's how Brian starts a process with his patient. Here's the next step Cabral does. Here's the next step Brian does. Here's the next step. Here's the next step. It is, it literally mirrors the process that you go through from a functional medicine step, from the first step of onboarding and understanding. So if you're a doctor, you're understanding patient history, you're understanding historical stuff, like all that stuff. On our end, it's, I actually want to know a lot of their health issues because it lets me understand how aggressive we need to be in the panel of testing to see what's going on. But then tell me about the history of your house. Instead of like your your family parental history and all that stuff, it's now the history of your home that you've lived in for 10 years. Talk about it. Tell me everything that's happened. I can know off of that call or off of that initial conversation, I might have five or six areas already that I know that we need to hit to see if there's something hidden somewhere. Right. Then the next step, if you're a doctor, to do some sort of diagnostic testing, some somewhat kind of like non-invasive, relatively inexpensive diagnostic testing is usually what it is. Right. They might, you know, do your your vitals. They might, you know, do some quick. They might ask you some maybe specific questions about things, whatever it is. On our end, they might run it like like an X-ray or an, like a neuroquant brain scan or whatever. They might do some basic stuff, you know, to just try to get a sense of what's going on. On our end. It's a four to eight hour visual deep dive inspection of literally every square foot of your house. That's our diagnostic, right? It's moisture meter, it's infrared camera, which is part of it, but that's probably just 20% of it. The rest of it is knowing what to look for and where to look for it. That are the clues that tell us that there's a potential issue here. And the clues are all tied to signs of previous water damage, previous water intrusion, not floods, not big, massive things, tiny drips that went under your, your sink and dripped on your sink cap. Uh, your baseboard that's next to your shower that every time your, your kid gets out of the shower, a little water splashes there. When you look at that baseboard, it's maybe a little swollen. It's maybe a little discolored. It doesn't look the same as that baseboard would look four feet further down the wall away from the tub. Those are the like the little, little diagnostic clues, right? So the next thing is like, okay, now that we have a feeling for where we think problems are, we now test to validate if there is a problem there, right at the spot where we think it is, not in the middle of the room, five feet away, right at the spot where we think it is. So we would test in the wall or on the specific surface or inside the cabinet where we think the problem is to identify source, right? So you can't fix a problem if you don't know where it's coming from. So the first step is to figure out where is it coming from? How many areas is it coming from? Which areas are the worst of those? Because at the end of the day, we're then going to have a conversation once all the results come back and you're going to say, man, Brian, this is a lot of stuff. Like I either can't afford this or this is just not, I'm not willing to do this or whatever. What areas are the worst? Like where am I going to get the biggest impact? And this goes back to our talk we had way at the beginning. Do you have to remove every single thing? Most times, no. Most of our clients don't. They remove enough to meet where they currently are so their body can start healing, right? So then what we can start doing is start talking about priorities of areas, which is typically around concentration levels that we're finding in samples, along with where they spend the most time. It's kind of a combination of those two things. And so that's that's a general overview of the process. 
So I have a question about that. So mm -hmm. it sounds like the process that you were just describing, you are in the person's home testing the area. What I live in Minneapolis. Okay. So obviously you can't come to my home, but I understand you have a test. Maybe you can talk about that a little bit, how you would work with someone that lives somewhere else, or how would you advise them to yeah. help them? So first off, we can't come to your home. So we go everywhere. We literally are full nationwide. We go to Canada. We go to all places. Everyone, every inspector in our company works directly for us. They're not like outsourced local people. And they're all trained by me and my team. So our process of how we go through a house is universal. And the way that we structure the business, this goes back to kind of the story of we inspect, but when we first started, we inspect the goal was to figure out how to take ourselves and put us everywhere because we were getting people asking us to go everywhere. Like, we can't fly all over the place and do this. It was myself and Corey at the time, my partner. Like, how do we figure this out? It started with who is now the head of our inspection team flying around the country. And we had to figure out how do I make sure that he's doing it right? Because I'm not there. Like, how do I trust that he's doing it right? We went out and found the technology that like news crews use when they do a remote somewhere. Like I'm doing a remote at, at Vaughn's or the grocery store or whatever. And they got like their broadcasting tech that's in the truck. And then they have their production studio where all the feeds come into. And that's where like their producer is sitting behind the thing. I was like, we need to do news remotes for inspections. This is it. This I figured it out. This is it, right? That was my first figuring it out. We found a version of that that fit in a backpack. So poor Joe flew around the country during COVID with a backpack of broadcasting equipment and a GoPro on his wrist. And I guided him through homes like a robot. And that was how it first started. And off of that, we then developed systems and platforms and technology and we've trained down and we've, you know, systemized all of them. But the core of what it is, is you have someone in your house. And then you have someone in the broadcast studio, if you will, the production studio that is working with that person still, it's still set up the exact same way. So our most senior level consultants have eyes on everything that's going on and you get a team approach to the inspection. You have your person in field and you have our senior level people behind mm. and we're seeing every single thing in flow and process all to our standards. So that is the in-person piece. So if somebody's like, I live here, do you go to the middle? I think I joked at the thing, like I made a joke about Idaho and yeah. some I live in Idaho. Right, um, right. <laughs> so we could do that. The other side of it is what I kind of teased at, at the conference is that we've now taken that entire process that we figured out over the last several years, step by step, this room is how we do it, like all that. And we created what we're calling We Inspect Together currently. We'll see if it's still named that when this comes out, but it's <laughs> we're, we're playing with it. But it's 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 like a We Inspect companion app. Basically what it is, is our entire inspection process is guided through this, but not to the point where it's like teaching someone how to go through a house, just to the point where like, I know what pictures I need to see of every single space in order to tell you exactly where everything is. I could do it right now. If you just you know, tell you exactly what I need, it's built into this. So somebody's like, for, uh, you know, you were saying, uh, Marnie, like your basement, cool room type basement. Awesome. I know everything I need to see here. You, you would get that populated in the phone. And it would have like seven or eight pictures that I need to see. And while you're doing it, you have real-time communication with our consultants within the app as like a messaging mm. component to make sure we're getting wow. The beauty about this now is that you don't have to necessarily fly somebody out. The price tag goes down because all of those expenses go away, right? 
You also don't have to have like a full house inspected. Like currently the way we're set up, it doesn't make sense to not do a full house. Like we can't fly someone somewhere to look at one room, right? It doesn't make sense like that. So now for all of the other people that aren't like, I'm not super sick, I'm not all in on this, you know, sort of thing, but this all makes sense to me. And I have kids in these rooms or whatever. I want to have these looked at by the best eyes that there are to look at it. It's now completely accessible and you can do it like on your terms. So that's, that's kind of the second piece that's there. So I'm really excited about both. And then if you did do that, the only thing that's different is you're taking some pictures instead of us having people take pictures basically, but then you still get our, our consultants tying in on back end. We still recommend the testing that should be done. We would, we would send a test kit to, to collect the samples, which are very easy to do. So all that process still happens. We get all the data. Everything is the same. It's just that first piece changes huge price reduction and a huge just opening to accessibility for everybody to be able to get to it. That's amazing. Um, I remember you mentioning something about this at the conference. And so I need to look into this personally. Um, will you touch on though, the dust test briefly? Cause I know that's the test that you um, facilitate and maybe just how it's different from the ERMI test, which some people may have heard of. Yeah. So the dust test is a test that I co-created um, with myself and my, my current partner, Corey, and then um, another uh, individual, um, his name is Michael Rubino. He runs Home Cleanse, which is like the top remediation company in the country. Um, so all three of us got together and we created this thing. It originated off of ERMI. So some people listening to this may know what ERMI is, some people may not, right? So to give the quick like rundown on ERMI, it's a test that exists where you can do a dust collection in your house, basically like wipe a Swiffer all over the place, get a bunch of dust, and you can see the mold that's present in your space down to a species level. It's the most um, in-depth type of testing you can do for mold because it gets all the way down to the species level where you're more like error and swabs or you know those types of tests are kind of a level up. It's called genera, but think of it like category of a mold. So you have like a category of a mold and then under the category, you could have like 10 different species, let's say that go under the category, right? The reason the species is important is because it's individual species have the potential to create the toxins that we talked about earlier. So it's not just like every Aspergillus species creates toxins. That's not true. But Aspergillus fumigatus and Niger and Versica and all these other, they do, right? So like you can get down into it and really kind of correlate that way, which is great. The other thing about it, see, these are the pros of this, like getting into it. So the other really good thing about it is it doesn't only look for spores. And that's a really big uh, kind of missed piece that happens in inspections is all the kind of source level testing is very spore centric. Um, but there are set multiple research studies out there that talk about the actual fragments that break off of a colony. And the two big reasons why that's important. One, they can be up to 500 times in terms of quantification. The number of them could be 500 times more than, than spores. So if I have one spore, I can have 500 fragments, right? So now you add up the spores and you see how that exponentially adds up on top of that. So that's the first thing. We're breathing that stuff in, right? So that's part of what we're breathing. The second thing is that fragments get way smaller than spores because they're little tiny things that are breaking off of a colony. It's not like a larger structure. And our bodies, our nose, our throat, has a natural filtration kind of built in there to protect our lungs from things that we breathe. But these fragments are so small, they work right through all of it. They can get into it. So you have direct path in the lungs, which is path into bloodstream, which is hello chronic inflammation, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's so important to understand that overall load because that is actually what we're breathing, right? Now I've been talking about source a lot. I've been talking about behind this wall and over here and over here. 
our noses aren't behind the wall where the mold is, right? And so it's like a big question. It's behind the wall. How's it getting out, right? It's not that our face is back here breathing this stuff, but the air currents in our house and move it out into our breathing space. It settles down. Gravity puts it down into the dust on the surfaces. And then as we walk around, there's this concept called the personal cloud effect, which if you ever watched Charlie Brown back in the day, there was that kid with all the dirt around him all the time, right? Pink he pen. Had was cloud. it pink pen? Yeah, pink pen. His personal cloud was gross odor smell. That's his cloud. But as we walk around, sit in our chairs, bump a table, open a door, take a step, whatever we're doing, we're constantly resuspending invisible particle up into our breathing space. That's what the personal cloud is called. So our exposure path is actually what's settling in the dust. So if you're at the beginning of this journey and like, do I even have a problem? And you're way at the beginning, right? You did what I said at the beginning and you kind of took inventory of your symptoms. You're like, maybe I have a problem, but I don't know for sure. That's where the dust test comes in. That's the purpose of it. The purpose is a holistic screening test, not to tell you where your problems are coming from, but to tell you if you have a problem and how bad it is. That's what the purpose of it is. And so that's what an ERMI test is used for a lot. Now, the problem with ERMI is, first off, the, the name sort of implies that ERMI is a test, and it actually is not a test. ERMI is an interpretation of data. But it's never been portrayed that way and it's been marketed as an ERMI test and everybody thinks of it that way. So to try to make this in an easy way for people to understand, they can't see me pointing and jumping like I did at the conference with all this stuff. And We and, are on YouTube, by the way. Oh, I'll point and jump. Okay, so an, an ERMI sample okay, has a panel of 36 different mole species that come up. That's the DNA formatting that they're seeing out of the dust, okay? That is called MSQ-PCR, which is mold-specific PCR. A lot of us have heard of PCR, you know, after COVID days, right? So it's DNA formatting of, of something. You can, you can see what it is. So that's what it is. Um, that can give us an overall understanding of mold types that are there and just overall load of mold that's going on. Great, cool. That was created at the exact same time that ERMI, which is spelled E-R-M-I for those of us that don't know, was also created. They were created in the same study that was done by the EPA and they co-commissioned it with the American House for Urban Development and some other things, I think. They had this study. They went to 1,100 homes across the country and they were trying to figure out like what a what a mold load looked like in a space and what was high and what wasn't and all this stuff. Well, in order for them to try to figure out what was high and what wasn't, they first had to figure out a way to measure it. That's where the PCR piece came in. That was created and patented right at that time. So that piece was, was new and started. And then what they did is they looked at it and they said, how do we make all of this confusing stuff make any sort of sense, right? And so they came up with an index. That's what environmental relative moldiness index actually means. It means it's an index to interpret the raw species data. That's what they actually created with ERMI. That's what they tried to do. Now the index, the math makes no sense at all um, without getting in it because it's hard without visual. But basically, they're subtracting certain molds from other molds and they're kind of saying that, well, if these molds aren't important. So we're going to subtract those from these other molds. And now that's what your exposure load is. But what we know now and what we talk about at the top is not just like toxin produces molds that are the concern. It's your overall load of exposure and how that's filling into your toxic bucket and how that's overloading you. So you can't subtract from an overall mold load. You can't do it because then it's, it's giving you a false sense of security in a lot of times, right? And so that's what happened. So that's what ERMI is. So there's some really good strengths about it. The scoring and interpretation is really bad and it can lead people down the wrong path. So for years, we would get calls, 
can you interpret my army? Can you interpret my army? I don't know what it means. I don't know what it means. And at some point I was just like, all right, enough is enough. I got to figure out a way to do this without having to get on the phone every time and explain the same thing over and over and over and over again. So it took about a year. It's like eight months to a year, somewhere in there to like get to the point and build it. Where the idea that I had was, I don't want to compare it to some weird arbitrary thing. The reason people are asking, the reason people even doing an army sample or a dust sample is they want to know if they have a problem. They want to know how bad it is. And they want those two answers to help inform their next decision. That's what do I do about it? It's the only reason they're doing it, right? And an ERMI score doesn't tell you any of that. It just gives you a number. And then it's like up to you to go figure out what the number means. So for me, I'm like a better experience for somebody and a, a better use of the information would be to answer the questions that I know that they're asking because I've been asked the questions 10,000 times. I know what the questions are. So it's like, how do I answer these three questions? So thinking about I'm like, all right, well, it's really, if I'm trying to understand if I have a problem how bad it is, I could answer both of those questions if I could create context for my house ranks against other homes. That's how I answer those questions because they're actually kind of the same question. Do I have a problem how bad it is? It's a comparison, right? It's all a comparison. So if I have a comparison point, I now can make that decision for myself. So what I did is I went through three years, the most recent three years of our, our inspections that we did, we were doing Hermes in every house because it's very important data to have. But I was also going through and doing everything else I just described. How many sources are in this house? Is there 10 hidden sources? Is there 15? Is there 30? Is there four? Like what's going on? And then we put it in, a lot of us now for like machine learning and AI and all that stuff. And we basically figured out an algorithm that made sense of it to apply context where it's like, okay, all of these moles are showing up and their levels are X, Y, and Z and the quantity of moles and all these things that are happening on the ERMI test is now correlated and related to how bad the homes actually were. And so now we can run it through and we could know like warehouse ranks in the grand scheme of things of all the other homes that were included in the study which now means when someone runs the dust test, what they have is the same exact DNA information, the 36 mold species that you see in the ERMI, mm -hmm. except instead of that weird formula that makes no sense, we overlaid that information on top of it. So now if you do the dust test, which if you're going to do an ERMI, you should do the dust test because you're actually getting the answers in the context for the whole reason you're running the sample in the first place is telling you, do you rank in this percentile? And the whole idea was like, okay, I had just had kids at the time when I was doing this and I was taking my little kids in, you know, to the one month, the three month, all these things. They're like measuring their head. Like, here's the circumference of their head. They fall into the 38th percentile or whatever. I'm like, this is how it needs to be. It needs to be a percentile of where you fall in all the homes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Essentially created the head circumference percentile scale for homes. <laughs> And put that into the report. And so you get way more understanding, but then the back end piece of it, maybe even a more valuable piece is that every one of these comes with a free phone call with my team to then dive more into your situation, better explain what you're seeing in front of you, even though it's explained pretty well in the reports and then help you figure out what you need to do next. So that's what the dust test is. It's the dusttest.com. And it's been very well received. And I'm really happy that we we're able to put it together. Well, that is amazing, Brian. And I think you laid it out so well. Um, I think this is such a confusing topic and we have totally run out of time here, but we may need to have you come back on because there's still so much more we could talk about on this topic. But I think the biggest takeaways are if you suspect you have mold or if you're having, you know, these health issues all over your body or in various places that you can't answer to consider looking at mold as one of the issues and reach out to Brian or... Start with the dust test, 
figure out what the source is and it's a, and it's a great think, starting place. Yeah. And I think Marnie, you and I are both now, I'm kind of re-kicking it back up and you unfortunately have this water damage. So listeners out there, you're going to be hearing from us either way, because we're going to want to share with you our journey and trying to figure it out. And so I'm personally now re-energized, but motivated to get to <laughs> <Energized>. the root. <laughs> energized. Um, my husband may kill me here, but I mean, my, at some point, Brian, I feel like I just want you to, you and your people to come out to my house, but I'm going to look at the app because I think that's a great option. So can you tell people like where they can find you, where we can order the test from and, you know, hook yeah. if they want to get hooked up with your app or potentially fly someone out? Yeah. So, um, our company is called, we inspect our site, our website is yes, we inspect.com. You go there, there's a big old yellow button on the front, book a free and book a free call. That's how you talk to us on the call. We'll figure out what's your, what's your deal. What are your goals? What's going on? What's happening? And then be able to guide you to the thing that makes the most sense. Maybe it's the dust test. Maybe it's the app version. Maybe it's us coming to the house. Maybe it's nothing. And we can just offer you some advice that's helpful, right? Like that's kind of what the point of that call is. Um, and so that's it. Super easy. You can come in there. You can handle that. Um, other places people want like a few, like more education. They just want to dive more into it. Um, my podcast is Mole Finders Radio. There's hours and hours of me talking just like this if you were into it. Um, and then also, uh, you know, my Instagram is also a huge like collection of a lot of stuff. So there's some places you guys could go there. And if you are looking for the dust test, it is the dusttest.com. So if you're way at the beginning, you're like, I don't even want to invest time to talk to somebody. Let me just figure out if I have something going on. It's an at-home test kit, just like every other at-home test kit you can get. Super easy. Go through the whole thing. So the dusttest.com is where you get that. That's great. And we'll link all that up in the show notes. And Brian, one question we like to ask all of our guests is what does the art of living well mean to you? It goes back to what I was just saying at the very top of this. I think that you can't like the day that I stop learning things and start trying to be better at something is the day that I might as well just die. Like, because (laughs) what am I doing? Like, why am I even around? I'm a person that's wired like that. Like if I'm not learning, trying, whatever then what's the point right and so for me like the that question is about my sort of like mental thought process and how i'm constantly curious about stuff and trying to just be a better me and also trying to be a better me for others as well not just a better me for me but like how can i be a better me for other people too and I think those are kind of it. So whether it's living longer and longevity and all this stuff, or if it's on the business side, thinking like, how can I make this more affordable and more accessible? Or what can we do there? If you're not moving forward, in my mind, you're you're moving backwards. So like that, that's how I look at it. Mm, so true. I think Marnie and I both have that curiosity and that love to keep learning and growing and sharing. And yes, well, thank Developing. you for all that you do. Yeah. Yes. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. One last thing on that, by the way, tying back to the whoop, there's something in there, like there's a journal in there and it asks you like all these questions every day and it starts giving you metrics on how certain things impact your recovery and different that. Learning something new is a question in there that I chose to put into my journal that I have on there. And so learning something new has a 3% increase on my recovery, I've learned. So changing my brain and doing things in that way. That's amazing. Actually has an impact on my overall well-being. So everyone go learn something new. It'll help you. Yes. Every day. Yeah. Such a good message. And for our kids too. So, well, thank you so much for coming on our show. And I'm sure we will both be in touch. I really appreciate the opportunity, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Art of Living Well podcast. 
We are so grateful that you joined us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or anyone else you think may benefit from this information. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and tag the Art of Living Well podcast on social media. If you want more inspiration in between episodes, you can find us on social media at the Art of Living underscore well on Instagram and Facebook, where we will share snippets from our daily lives and our journey to living well. 